Welcome to this podcast on digital responsibility. There's a vibrant community across the world at the moment driving forward corporate digital responsibility, which includes a range of aspects from digital ethics, digital for the environment, sustainability, digital well-being, inclusion, accessibility, and more. My name is Rob Price, one of the founders of Corporate Digital Responsibility back in 2017. If you'd like to know more, have a look at the website corporatedigitalresponsibility.net. Welcome to episode nine of season two of the Digital Responsibility Podcast. And I'm delighted to be joined tonight by um, Trish Shaw and Simon. I was going to say Bab, but of course you're Larson now, aren't you, Simon? Certainly indeed. I'm uh, definitely Larson at the moment and hopefully for a very long time. Cool. So uh, in fact, actually, Simon, why don't you keep on and, and would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. Hi, good afternoon. Good morning, everyone, depending on what part of the world you're calling from or listening from. I'm Simone Larson, and I head up AI commercial product at Digital Catapult. Uh, Digital Catapult is a technology research organization um, that focuses on breaking down barriers and increasing adoption of advanced digital technologies in the UK. Uh, My background is in technology consulting. Um, I spend a long time in some of the top tier consulting firms. And in about 2016, when I was at Accenture, um, I did a AI project, which I led and I've loved. And I've been on AI on an AI journey ever since. Um, from a Catapult perspective, we focus on five tech areas. So it's 5G, IoT, AI, immersive, and distributed systems. I am the AI commercial product lead and Really what that means is we engage with industry to ensure that the barriers to adoption are addressed and to help them innovate with our technology set. So we focus on machine learning. So that includes prediction, machine vision, um, reinforcement learning and privacy preservation. And we also have a well-known, hopefully renowned AI ethics program. Um, And I think that's it for me. Brilliant, thanks for that. And um, Trish, how about yourself? Uh, would you like to give us a bit of an introduction? Of course, hopefully some listeners will be familiar with you from the excellent article that you wrote and we published uh, a month or two ago on the EU um, AI regs that, of course, is the focus of the conversation tonight. Indeed, indeed. Well, again, I will welcome people from wherever you are in the globe right now listening to this podcast. Um, I am Trish Shaw, CEO of Beyond Reach Consulting. I'm an AI and data ethics consultant because data cannot be divorced from technology, just to be clear. And uh, I provide a strategy, policy and governance advice. So I come from a background in law. So I have 20 years um, technology experience, both in-house and out-house in private practice, dealing with anything from commercial contracts, compliance, risk management, emerging data and tech initiatives and regulatory and government affairs. I am involved with the creation of international standards, ethical certification um, with the IEEE, and AI audit with For Humanity. Um, they've recently represented at the all-party parliamentary group on AI in the area of algorithmic impact assessments and AI audit. Um, I'm currently working with businesses as they unpack the EU proposals and understand that responsible AI governance and what that looks like in their context, particularly where decisions are made about people with um, the potential of inclusionary and exclusionary effects. I'm passionate about education and awareness raising So much so that um, I've been involved with the uh, Institute for Ethics in AI in Education. And I'm also really passionate about the fact that innovation can be a real enabler with AI ethics at the helm through SMEs uh, who actively engage in meaningfully with their stakeholders. 
And, and I think it's one of the, the interesting things for me. I mean, so just to be clear, responsible AI and the impact on intended consequences of some of uh, things that could be implemented, as you were saying earlier, has always been a key part of corporate digital responsibility. So, so, so absolutely critical from a from our listeners' point of view. And I think one of the battles has always been um, when when regulation is put in place, do people see it as restrictive and controlling versus enabling and empowering positive things to happen? If I look at GDPR, for example, uh, many organisations focused on obsessing around absolutely doing everything to prevent any sort of data loss rightly so, but actually almost to kind of the complete exclusion of what can you positively do with some of those that data if used in appropriate manners. So, so I'm interested in the conversations that both of you are having with, uh, with businesses or, or indeed with those involved in, in setting policy and regulation as to how people are beginning, how people are reacting to the uh, EU regulations as as currently kind of defined and and, and and Trish I don't think we need to go through the the the, the summary of because that's already written and, and people can read that on the blog but how are people reacting to that fundamentally it, it's been about trying to to sell in the the kind of European approach of trust um, and building trust in AI um, I think that has been part and parcel of kind of understand the spirit of the law um, in terms of how have businesses been reacting, it, it's been a bit twofold, really. Some have said, oh, great, been expecting this. Now we've got something to work with, getting their teeth into, let's work with the timeline. Others are saying, <laughs> not quite, you must be joking, um, but that how unworkable the regulation looks in terms of some of the definitions, the definition of AI itself, um, some of the crossover between provider and user. Um, if you're making your own AI when you're not actually releasing it on the market and you're inter- intending to use it in your internal employment and deployment, what does that look like? Um, so th- there's been a little bit of kind of this is woolly around the edges feel. So therefore, businesses are looking to potentially influence what the next draft might look like. Um, on the other hand, as well, some are saying this is creating a, an entire compliance cottage industry. And that cottage industry will be one where there's a tick box approach to compliance because there'll be certain things that you'll need to de-risk when you're buying it in, de-risk when you're um, using it across the AI lifecycle. And then when you need to go and deploy it yourself, if you're the provider, you're the one with the front market face, how much load of risk are you going to have to bear? What's your liability frontage? What's your liability protection? And how do you apportion that risk uh, in the, the back office supply chain, so to speak? So those are some of the questions I've been having. Um, another quite interesting nuance one is whether or not businesses could consolidate their liability, ring fence their liability, uh, consolidate that compliance effort by putting um, a joint venture special purpose vehicles together. So um, unlike in GDPR, where there's the kind of mention of an undertaking um, and uh, liability sitting with the entire undertaking, so i.e. that will go to your group companies, yeah. your, side, your doctor, daughter companies, your doctor, sorry, the German came out there, and your, 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 um, your subsidies, um, whether or not actually putting together a special purpose vehicle with, you know, all, all holds bars saying, right, there you go, off you go with that product to market 
and have a unique product for the European audience. So that's another thing that's been coming out is the idea that there will be this two-tiered approach or multiplicity approach, but two-tiered definitely. One set of AI um, being for an EU audience and one set of AI for an out-of-EU audience. And fundamentally what that will mean is that the EU market will be served after the remainder of the world. So that, that's some of the conversations we've been seeing, having really kind of interesting. Which I've always been intrigued by the logic of, um, in a sense, if there are unintended consequences of something like AI, then putting a geographical boundary on that seems kind of rather nonsensical um, because kind of the impact can still kind of happen wherever it might be. And, and also, I mean, whilst we're talking about the EU AI regs, well, what actually does happen in the rest of the world as as, as other things kind of maybe come, come out. Um, Simone, what's what's from your perspective, I mean, obviously the catapults are there to uh, support SMEs and bring and uh, really bring them to an international market. So, so what are you seeing in the conversations that you're having with people through the catapult? Thanks, Rob. So, from an innovator perspective, so these are startups and scale-ups um, with an AI product. Um, very much to Trisha's point, it's they're trying to figure out how do they serve the non-EU market first um, and then focus on the EU market. Um, I find that also when talking to industry, so adopters of AI, we had a year long series of industry working groups last year around uh, responsible AI adoption. And the key topic there for them was supply chain of assurance. So whether they are producing AI or uh, producing producing products with algorithms or they're procuring um, products, how do they map that chain of assurance, um, not only from an EU perspective, but from an international perspective? And it was all about how do they ensure that the risk that they're undertaking, either from a procurement perspective, but also from a shipping to outside of the UK perspective, that they are well aware of what it is and what tools um, and frameworks can be used to help them vet and, and mitigate that risk. Um, so I guess it's it's on which side of the fence um, you, you, you're focusing on, right? So if it's a startup or an innovator, it's how do they grow and scale and perhaps looking at markets outside of the EU in the first instance. But if you're a well-established corporate um, who's not AI first, so we're not talking about the likes of Google and Amazons, um, but perhaps Arm, who was a part of our working group, or Talis or Rolls-Royce, um, how do you ensure that uh, the risk that you're undertaking in terms of creating products um, can be traced back, but also buying like the procurement of AI products as well? And and in the, in the conversations and the things that you've heard, I mean, if... if I suppose that I'm looking at, at the Brexit impact here as well. So, so this is the EU's position and, and the UK will have a position. And indeed, the UK is kind of then having a series of um, trade negotiations with other parts of the world. Is, is this forming part of those conversations? Are people thinking about non-EU AI regulations and, and how that plays into some of the exporting of products from the startups, scale-ups that you're working with? Yes, they are, they are considering that. I think one thing they're also looking at, um, which we rightly touched on, right? So last year was, I think, uh, finally uh, coming to a close of the EU exit. Um, and while they were looking to the EU to see where do they, um, how do they play and how do they cooperate, but also um, follow the regulation, uh, 
it was also around what is UK's response um, to that national, to, to that strategy? And are we going to have our own point of view on that EU regulation? Um, they were particularly looking for export, export regs to the US um, to determine how best to, to move forward. And, and, and do you think that there's um, an appetite for increased uniformity between the regulations? Or do you think that actually um, there will be a desire to keep things um, different or even kind of more open, less regulatory and, and, and to try and drive more of an open market? And, and how do you get then the balance between trying to protect about the unintended consequences of the technology itself? Um, Trish, is there, have you got a view on that. I mean, I, I guess kind of the last thing that anybody wants is to spend the next several years trying to kind of work out a global stand, set of standards that everyone agrees to. So, so how do we get the right balance? Oh, it's a tricky one. Um, I think there's two tiers to this. There's the kind of public sector tier and the private sector tier. Um, so fundamentally, I think the UK is trying to find its place in a post-Brexit world, post-pandemic world, or a continuing pandemic, this is the thing we have to live with. And so given the regulatory freedom, so to speak, that they now have, there is much that the UK could do. Um, I think it's, it's a bit between a rock and a hard place. It's wanting to drive economic growth on the one hand without appearing to impose too much that's too burdensome for the market, whilst also wanting to be this safe haven, a global leader and responsible AI, wanting to help find that, that supply chain assurance for people, want to help to find... Um, standards that people can adhere to from an ethical stance and that be assured when you're using the AI as a consumer or as a citizen that, that there's a standard that's being adhered to when it's deployed here in the UK. But the challenges I'm seeing is I don't see how that's going to be achieved without regulatory impetus and at the moment no regulation appears to be on the parliamentary timetable. Uh, aside from what we're seeing on the online safety which may well regulate to a degree, recommender systems or certain content management systems in social media. But that's a small portion of what AI can and does do. <laughs> there is appetite for regulation, if anything, from last week's all-party parliamentary group on AI is to go by. Um, we're, we're seeing, certainly amongst the MPs, uh, an increasing, um, so we, shall we say, crowd of witnesses that are looking to try and regulate or try and put something of more stature in place that will help prevent against the unintended consequences and indeed the intended ones that we've talked about. And, and I think, I mean, we touched there in terms of um, consumer expectation, consumer demand. Um, so, so how will we know? How will any citizen know uh, or, 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 or understand which products or services that they're using have some degree of use of AI in all its various forms and how will they know it's safe or certified or compliant with which regulations because surely that's getting into a level of detail that most people won't necessarily worry about. Um, equally I know from previous conversations that we've had on this podcast that there are organizations talking about uh, safety or privacy badges of certification if you like so that there's a raised awareness. What do you see as the consumer need? I think there's a citizen need and a consumer need. And certainly from um, open government partnership perspective, um, they are very much looking at algorithmic transparency. How do you convey and communicate to the end user citizen 
what's happening in the, the AI system, what's happening with their data. And so there's some really interesting thought leadership in that space and some really interesting tools that we're seeing in the likes of Helsinki and Amsterdam with the AI registers approach. Um, certainly that was definitely commented on on the, the recent uh, Britain Thinks report that came out, I think last week, actually, uh, which was with Cabinet Office and CDI. Um, so from a, a transparency perspective, trying to engage the citizen, raise awareness of the citizen, help them to care about the potential for harm or the potential risks that are bestowed upon them. This is a really good starter for 10. So that's from the kind of citizen perspective. From the consumer perspective, we've seen in the EU AI regs um, and the draft, this idea of a CE marking. And at the moment, there's no kind of com- uh, impetus to convey that information of that CE mark to the end consumer. The only thing we've got is the EU AI database, but that will require the citizen consumer to go and have a look for themselves. So really interesting to know that probably since the EU AI regs drafts come out, this, this driver for an AI ethics label, something that helps to kind of highlight at least core risks to the consumer is certainly increasing in traction. Excellent. And, and Simon, how about you in terms of what you're seeing through um, the, the the startups maybe that you're dealing with? Is anyone kind of very much thinking and innovating at this from a consumer or citizen centric view, helping them to kind of understand or, or gain trust and confidence in the services that are being provided? Surprisingly not. Um, we I haven't seen any of the startups or scale-ups that we interact with really um, focusing on this area. What they are focusing on, so as part of our machine intelligence garage, we have an ethics um, service that we provide. And it's a framework that we help founders or their CTOs or their heads of engineering or their data scientists use to ask the right questions as they're building the algorithm. Um, and making sure that the data that they use is safe and ethical and, and, you know, all the tick boxes, as you can imagine. And they oftentimes do that as a route to raise funding, right? So when we have our investor days to, you know, promptly show that they've gone through this ethical process and they're, I guess their, their product isn't necessarily certified, but consideration has been made about how the algorithm was built, how the black box was built. But no, I haven't come across any startups in particular that have taken it a step further to figure out what that would mean for the end user, the consumer, or the citizen for their products. Um, interesting point. So, sounds like an opportunity for somebody listening. Yes, well, <laughs> indeed. And that's the really interesting thing because AI ethics and building trust with your customer base has got to be a competitive advantage. It's a real enabler for people. Absolutely. But do you you think as consumers, unless you are in the AI sphere or or have a particular interest, they they care, right? Enough to want to find products that are are ethically certified, right? Um, I guess, is there a demand for it yet? I, I think the most important word there is yet. So, so I think from what I've seen, if I look at the rest of the digital responsibility kind of areas, then when, when I first started talking about this, what, five, five years ago or so, I, I used to get a lot of blank faces for most of the things that I talked about. Um, but as, as time has con- moved on and, and, and maybe accelerated through the pandemic, as well as people have been a little more focused around 
how do how do we create more positive outcomes for planet for example then i think there is kind of stronger awareness i mean i had an earlier podcast we were talking to some guys behind the sustainable web manifesto and i said had anyone come to you and said can you deliver me a website that's kind of most efficient in terms of its energy use and that, and, and they said kind of well no but not until this year and then somebody did so <laughs> so, so, so i think for me i think as people become more familiar of uh, the potential of harm, then that will become something that people uh, think about more. In the same way as uh, as we've had um, data leaks and kind of people are aware about their passwords because kind of they get regular emails say or, or notifications on their phone to say um, somebody's kind of uh, got access to your password and please can you change it. It's therefore more front of mind. As things happen of a negative consequence, I think there will be more intent and people will look more to change the behaviours. So I agree, not today, but I do think it's changing. Trish, how about yourself? I think it isn't so much that people don't care or, or that there's a great deal of apathy. There may well be that. But I think people are just agnostic to the technology how often do we think about the risks that computers present to us or smartphones present to us? They're a tool. And I think if we see AI as a tool and start to approach people and think um, and, and talk to people in the concept of outcomes-based approach, I think once we, we can give people the opportunity to see, well, in scenario A, scenario B, scenario C and scenario D, these things could happen and the, these present a real percentage risk to you until we talk about that they they won't be able to visualize or realize what that kind of harm or potential consequence to them might mean in practice and I think again to to, to Rob's point it's about the harm yet you know it, I think we're just going to have to wait to unfortunately there be a, a bad case yeah. something really bad happening um Ofqual may have been a bit of a shot across the bows here in the UK um, in terms of a, uh, an algorithmic um, system. It wasn't AI, but a data modelling approach to exam um, certification and, and grading that caused ructions within camps. And we know how swiftly that then got resolved, but we, we haven't got any case law or anything that came off the back of that because people were put in a position whereby that they should have been in had the system worked correctly so there was no cause for them to move forward with it i think i think in a sense i suspect there aren't going to be that many people that will go through any regulation or policy in great detail to understand the consequence on them from a personal point of view but but therefore the thing that then matters is what are the what are the headlines what stands out in terms of kind of making a tangible beneficial difference for people so so if we go back to the eu AI regulations. I guess my question is then, what 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 do you think that's in there? If it's one thing, one thing that stands out most positively for you in the consequence it has for businesses or indeed for the end consumer or citizen that we, as we've just been talking about. Trish, do you want to start with that? Oh, I want to do two. Well, okay, go do two. <laughs> it's trying to drive good data and good governance. I think really that if we get to the essence of it, that's what it's trying to do. It's trying to bring about a commonsensical approach to how you govern, how you put structures in place to 
um, essentially de-risk your data, look at how biased it is or what mitigations you can put in place, where's the risk, key risk factors here, then what all the kind of other steps that you go through to get the certification conformity assessment and and ultimately get to market. So it's just trying to put in place good governance with the good data and recognising that data cannot be divorced from this. And I think that's what we'll see next. You know, this is the draft EU AI regulation for now. And we we still have um, to learn a lot more about what the the draft data act looks like, what the draft data spaces and data governance acts. I think we've got data spaces out, but data governance act and and the likes will look like going forward and how these all work in synergy with one another. I think um, just one of the things that was a bit of a, not let down, but um, more that we, there needs to be synergy with it is with GDPR. And I like the recognition that not all AI uses personal data. I think that needs to be a little bit clearer message and we need to understand what role um, synthesized, synthetic, uh, anonymized, pseudonymized and fully personally identifiable information, what role each of those have and how they can impact risk for, uh, for an AI system in terms of its outcomes. That's not clear at the moment. I think we need a little bit more um, discussion about that, whether it's a, a GDPR plus or um, whether or not it's making it clear in this draft EU AI regs, particularly as we know, machine learning is very data hungry and trying to apply um, non-personal data or kind of anonymized data in a machine learning um, uh, sphere is quite tricky and doesn't produce the results that really people want to see. Cool. And Simone, how about yourself? What stands out for you? I would echo the point on governance. Um, So the industries that we work with um, as part of the working group, um, for the companies that have operationalized AI, it's how do, you know, for them, it's how do they keep their name out of the front page of the Guardian, right? So it's pretty much, okay, so this, um, this tool was built and it was implemented and it's being fed more and more data, right? Who keeps record of the new data elements that are being inputted to the algorithm? Um, and if the outputs are changing and the outcomes are changing, just making sure that what it was originally developed for, the spirit of what the algorithm is still being used for is, is, is there. Um, but I think another overarching problem that has been raised is around what are other companies doing, right? So we found that for the pockets of companies that have operationalized AI in the UK, they are looking to other peers to figure out what best practices, what tools are they using, what regulation are they holding as gospel until you know the, the UK comes out with their take on it. Um, so it's all around governance and making sure that the algorithm that was developed two, three years ago and has been operationalized, the spirit of um, what it was developed for is still um, in place and the data that it's being fed is still ethical. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's been a fascinating conversation. I'm just very conscious in talking with you both. The, 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 the amount of insight and knowledge that you both bring to the conversation is, is phenomenal, given the, the, the networks that you both operate in. So, so I guess my final question for, for each of you then is, is and given that insight and given those networks that, that, that you um, are in contact with every day, What's the most exciting thing that you see happening at the moment in, in, in this field? So in terms of responsible AI, and, and, and it could be anything, but, but just to kind of finish off, 
um what what one thing would you kind of point our listeners to to definitely something worth investigating when they get a moment trish do you want to kick us off well i'm gonna sound super geeky and i I am actually really excited about the prospect of regulation i know that's really sad um it's it's gaining momentum and i think it's the regulatory impetus for me is absolutely fun well, it's fundamentally required to, to give rise to a culture of ai governance we've had many years where people have had the opportunity businesses have had the opportunity to try and get their own house in order put the governance in place and many organizations just simply haven't uh, to that degree then what does ai governance what does operationalizing ai ethics look like on the ground well it's to simone's point it's that ongoing monitoring piece so i think we'll see um a rising up of tools to help businesses keep a grasp of that um i'm quite excited about the the real-time reg tech opportunities that that's going to bring because there's going to have to be some element of real-time supervision here so that that's quite exciting but all in all for for the ai ethics sector the rising up of kind of specific codes, standards, certification and audit to really help businesses on the ground to to comply, but not just comply in a tick box culture approach of compliance, but actually embed in their own organisations a real culture of what is this AI governance for? It's for protecting, it's harnessing the power of AI, but also protecting people and planet fundamentally. Um, I think, yeah, for me, it's going to be about a culture shift. We need to see this culture shift. So on the one hand, it's the kind of regulatory impetus I'm very excited about, but I'm very excited then about this cultural shift that this is going to engender for people. I think AI and AI ethics is becoming certainly more mainstream. Awareness is being raised by profile. We've, we've seen even on Netflix, you know, some of the kind of raising up awareness of through coded bias and through social dilemma and the likes. Uh, you know, if, if anyone was in wonder before, you know, we had the Black Mirror <laughs> series and the like. Um, I just think, yeah, some of that sci-fi and, and I jest, but the, the reality, the coded bias and, and, and social dilemma, I think it's bringing to people the real world issues that this is facing. I'd really like to see a Netflix promo or Netflix mini film on um, the impact to people and planet. I think we need to see a bit more of that back to your sustainability point earlier on um, and how this could then be maintained. But I know regulation, regulatory impetus, AI governance, reg tech for monitor, super, uh, real-time supervisory monitoring isn't sexy, but it, it's the things that the, the, the spokes um, in the wheel, the, the cogs in the mechanism that need to happen to make this cultural shift happen. It's a crit- critical step um, and, and important in the wider context, absolutely. Uh, Simon, how about you? Um, for me, it's the continued movement of from the theoretical to the practical. So we can talk, uh, there, there are many um, bodies that talk about the theory around AI ethics and adoption um, and how you operationalize it. But what excites me is moving from that theory to putting it into practice practically. Um, most recently, I'm sure you guys are aware of this, you know, Google's model cards for model reporting. Um, I'm quite fascinated by IBM's AI fact sheets and partnerships on AI, AI ML, about AI ML project. Um, I think the more we move away from the theory and just really start having inroads into the how, even if it's an iterative um, manner, um, and obviously tools, you know, the, the, the tool sets in terms of how they can be used to um, 
progress AI ethics adoption, I think that's what's really exciting for me, moving from the what to the how. And, and I think across the whole um, digital responsibility piece, then I, I think that's the most critical thing often talked about is we need to move beyond talking about things to doing things uh, into embedding change and driving transformation for positive impact. Uh, so, so I think excellent point on which to finish. Um, it, it's been a pleasure talking to you both. Um, thank you very much for uh, the contributions and, and uh, I'm sure that um, our, our listeners will have, well, lots of, they will need lots of time to follow up some of the suggestions throughout the conversation uh, of things that they will have no doubt thought, I, I've, not, I've not heard of that bit. I need to go away and, and investigate a bit more. Uh, so many thanks to you both. Uh, much appreciated. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Mo.